Welcome to episode number 46 of Off the Shelf. I'm holding in my head several different attitudes on one hand. I'm great and smart and nice and can't be fooled. But though there's also some other things that kind of prove that I made a dumb choice and now it's a oh boo-hoo. It makes me uncomfortable and inconsistent and it's a thing called cognitive dissonance. It makes me uncomfortable and inconsistent consistent and it's a thing called cognitive dissonance might seem lost but i'm no joke dissonant. i know cigarettes kill but i'm gonna smoke dissonant. i got dumped hi my name is rod bergen and i want to welcome you to this week's episode of the off the shelf podcast off the shelf is now being heard in over 100 countries and we are glad you could join us. The aim of Off the Shelf is to help people know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. The podcast is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. This week, we are continuing our interview with John Collins, the author of the Seek the Truth website. Did William Branham violate Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22? That, that is the question. And I do think that it's worthwhile to highlight to our listeners that there is an out for Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. And you can find it in Jeremiah 18, 7 to 10, which reads as follows. If at any time, this is God speaking through Jeremiah, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. And if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. You know, Rod, I think it's a good idea for the listeners who were affected by the message to understand what a prophet is according to the Old Testament and how they were used in the Old Testament. Because by and large, I'm finding from people who are leaving the message that while they were in the message, they knew very little about the Bible, especially the Old Testament. And it wasn't until after they left that they started learning what the Bible is and how it reads. When the Mosaic Law was given, originally there were Ten Commandments, and we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down from the mountain, and the people send him back up. We want more. We want you to tell us what to do. And God gave what is called the Mosaic Law. And this law had many items, uh, rules to follow. There were ceremonial laws, there were um, community laws, there were religious laws, there were, there were a number of different categories of law. It was, you could almost view it as like our constitution if you were to add holy laws to our constitution. It had both, it had things that were, you know, for the community, such as if you have mold growing on your walls, you need to move to a different house. It had yeah. many different things. But there were, they were important laws. If you didn't follow them, there were 300 curses 
if you didn't follow them. There are 300 blessings if you did follow them. And if you failed the entire law, the final punishment was death. Yeah. If you study the Bible, the Old Testament, and you follow the path through the books of Kings, and at, basically they're history books. If yeah. you follow the history that's in the Old Testament, you watch them time after time. A king rises, he's righteous, he starts failing the law, he falls flat on his face. As he falls flat on his face, you have prophets that are coming saying, thus says God, you have violated this law, now you're going to fall flat on your face. It shouldn't be that hard to understand, but to be honest, we have, have been manipulated in these cults so much that we can't even read the book as it's a book. So whenever these these prophets are speaking, uh, such as you know Jonah speaking to Nineveh, the people are forgetting the reason for the law. And the reason for the law is to bring people to repentance, bring them closer to God, yeah. and, and they could earn favor with God. Yeah. So, so if Jonah prophesied destruction and the people turned their hearts back to God, well, if he's a loving and just God, he's going to forgive. Yeah. And so we see this prophecy you know, happening in Nineveh. What happened in the book of Jonah, it's exactly what happened in Nineveh, to Nineveh. Jonah prophesied destruction in chapter 3. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented not to bring them the destruction that he had threatened. And Rod, if you take the whole sum of the Old Testament, you have some very, very harsh prophecies. They're speaking against the people, telling them exactly what God told them would happen if they failed the law. Yeah, yeah. But if you take the whole sum of it, they failed every single point at the law, and the final curse mankind deserved was death. Yeah. God was so forgiving, according to the New Testament, that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. Right. So... So what you're just saying and what we read from Jeremiah, if God pronounces judgment in a prophecy, but there's repentance, the judgment of God is stopped. And what was going to be done, according to the prophecy, in fact, doesn't happen. The prophecy fails, you know, in quotes, but it doesn't really fail because God is always there to stop judgment if in fact there is repentance and that is the only out for deuteronomy 18 20 to 22 because it's specifically allowed in the word of god and you know this is this is not what happened with this brown fair vision yeah more to the point take any one of william branham's prophecies and find the focal point of that prophecy in the Bible, these prophecies were focal points of the, you know, God proving what he said would happen, but there was always a push towards repentance. In yeah. fact, Je in the New Testament, Jesus said the entire law and the entire prophets, specifically that's meaning the entire books of Moses, the, the Pentateuch, and the prophets, uh, the books of the prophets, is summed up in these two things, love God and love your neighbor. Yeah. 
William Branham's prophecies, the vast majority of them, only elevated himself. It didn't push people towards repentance. It yeah. didn't push, you know, there was no urgency towards repentance. There was only urgency towards destruction. Clearly, what we see with the Brown Verer vision is an example. Pastor Gwyneth states that William Branham disobeyed God by walking outside of the vision, and this is what caused it to fail. He is also making the error of making the focal point of that vision William Branham and not the salvation of the people in the message, let alone the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ed Biskell, I think, states the same thing. He's, you know, I've read somewhere, I can't remember where, that he says that William Branham was the Jonah on the hunting trip, and as a result, that vision failed. This is not a biblical excuse. If it was, every single time that a prophet made a false prophecy, he would simply say, I disobeyed God, and therefore the vision failed. You can't kill me. Yeah, get out of jail free. Get out of jail free. You know, I, I can't stress enough. I was just, um, I've been recently working with an apologetics community, and one of the members recently went to, it's ironically an offshoot of the foundation that William Branham laid, but they were creating a school of the prophets. And one of these apologists attended, and they actually had this big class that said prophesy frequently, prophesy often, prophesy big. One of the things you say might stick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And they're, te they're teaching people to become prophets like this. And what happens is when the one sticks, everybody goes, oh, wow, look, a prophet. Well, I can send my five-year-old son to do this. He can be a prophet. Well, and even William Branham said when he initially started discerning diseases that he guessed a lot. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, you know, look up the School of the Prophets in the message. I think you'll be a little bit more than surprised. <laughs> but when we look at Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22, plainly, we must conclude, according to the Bible, it's not you saying it, Rod, it's not me saying it, it is the Bible saying that William Branham is a false prophet. Exactly. And this applies to the vision of the African meetings that failed, and it applies to the municipal bridge vision that failed. And we could go into these visions in detail and explain why these visions clearly failed. And we, we may deal with this in a future podcast. But if you're interested, there's going to be a link on the page on our website for this podcast. Now, we also want to point out that Pastor Gwena also accused us of cognitive dissonance. Now, now this is really quite funny. <laughs> he uses a couple of red herrings to try to discredit Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22, and says they aren't red herrings because he's simply using them as biblical precedents. But he reads things into the passages that aren't there. And he's clearly throwing a couple of red herrings into the path of his congregation so they will become confused and not understand what Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22 is really saying. He never really deals with a passage that creates the problem. He never gives a reason why we should ignore Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. He ignores the plain reading of the Bible in favor of a confused reading of his red herring passages. So when you take biblical precedence and you say, let's look at the Bible, they say you are diverting the subject matter. Let's look at this. So by branding biblical precedence argument as a red herring, 
they block use of biblical precedences. Now I know this might be going over a lot of people's heads. And then he says, we are the ones that are guilty of cognitive dissonance, which is even funnier. They throw these things, then they accuse message believers of cognitive dissonance. But what they don't actually realize is that they themselves have actually gone into that cognitive dissonance. John, can you explain to our listeners exactly what cognitive dissonance is? This is a term that, I'll be honest with you, I had never heard until after leaving the message. And I was trying to find a a term that described what I was seeing from members who were escaping the message. They would see things very, very clearly that can only be described a certain way. And yet their minds would go through leaps and bounds and hurdles to try to evade that. And I knew there must be some kind of a, a phrase or term or even a medical condition. And they were saying dis- really stupid things. I've heard really bright people, and I assume that Pastor Gwena is probably bright too, but they say really stupid things that when you actually look at it, you go, they, this doesn't make any sense. It, You know, I try to, there's different ways that I try to explain it, but it's not that we see the people as stupid. It's yeah. not even the word. I think the word stupid may be in, in this case, I think there may be an even more specific way to describe it. It's not that there is a problem with the words coming from their brain to their mouths. It's that before it makes it to that passageway, their brain is trying to alter the perception. And as it is being altered, they truly can't help what is coming out of their mouths. Yeah. Their brain, their brain is physically or mentally trying to block and and try to make an answer that isn't there. Yeah, yeah. In 1956, Dr. Leon Fessinger wrote a book that's entitled When Prophecy Fails, a social and psychological study of modern group that predicted the destruction of the world. And in this book, he he describes perfectly what happens when a message follower is confronted with evidence that William Branham's visions failed. And he says this, a man with conviction is a hard man to change. Tell him that you disagree and he turns away. Show him facts or figures and he questions your sources. Appeal to the logic and he fails to see your point. We all have experienced the futility of learning to change a strong conviction, especially if the convinced person has some investment in his belief. We are familiar with a variety of ingenious defenses of which people protect their convictions, managing to keep them unscathed through the most devastating attacks. But man's resourcefulness goes beyond simply protecting a belief. Suppose an individual believes something with his whole heart, and suppose further that he has a commitment to this belief, and he has taken an irrevocable actions against it. Finally, suppose that he is presented with evidence, unequivocal and undeniable evidence, that his belief is wrong, what will happen? The individual will frequently emerge, not only unshaken, but even more convinced of the truth of his beliefs than ever before. Indeed, he may even show a new fervor for convincing and converting other people to his view. And Rod, this... this 
problem that we see with cognitive dissonance. I did a study early on in the website. I want to say it was 2012, 2013. As I was analyzing William Branham's sermons and watching, I, I put things together in a timeline. I wanted to see how things changed over time, what was changing, what the themes of the sermons were. And I started noticing this phrase describing psychology in the sermons. William Branham becomes more and more adamant that he's not using psychology psychology yeah. while, while he's also more and more adamant that people are accusing him of it. And I wanted to investigate a bit more. And I came across this book by the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Uh, I think his name's Edward Bernays, a book called Propaganda. And what he's describing is the precursor to what Dr. Leon Fessinger is describing. He says, basically, it's, it's the old proverb, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Yeah. In the book Propaganda, it explains to you how to make somebody how to persuade them into your belief. And he is describing exactly what William Branham did with his message. He He's describing giving them something to go home into a private location and study for themselves. Don't tell them what you want them to believe. Tell them enough to make them come to their own conclusion of what you want them to believe. In other words, I never said I was a prophet. You said that. William Branham says this often. He's giving people the tapes to go into their home. If you read this book, you will suddenly identify large portions of your past history in this book by Edward Bernays. Wow. So cognitive dissonance theory, it's actually quite simple. A message follower has thoughts in his mind that don't fit with each other. He says... I believe that William Branham is an infallible prophet. And I'm confronted with evidence that some of William Branham's visions failed. Those two thoughts don't fit together. Not at all. So these conflicting thoughts give rise to dissonance and, and a state of anxiety that the individual is motivated to reduce. The mental distress causes changes in the individual's behaviors or in their beliefs. In our case, it was leaving the message. But most frequently, it results in a person rejecting the negative information, i.e. the facts, the truth we presented, and accepting bizarre explanations as to why the facts aren't true. You know, it appears to me that this is exactly what Pastor Gwynna has done. I ask anybody who's listening who has any interest in this whatsoever to go listen to this sermon by Pastor Guina. If you can get a hold of it. <laughs> if you can get a hold of it, which is another huge problem. It's just, you know, we have had our live streaming for a few years now, but it's just that we don't make it public. And I keep it very, very tightly controlled. Take what he is saying about us as it applies to cognitive dissonance, and then examine what we have presented as our research. There is no dissonance. We have facts. They are not conflicting. They're, they're, there's simply no dissonance on our side at all. But yet he's applying this to us. We actually went through a very meticulous... I, I can't tell you the number of 40-hour weeks that I have spent researching this, Rob. Yeah, yeah. No, we're the we same went, thing. Yeah. 
very, very thorough at, at the cost of, you know, lots of forfeiting time with my family and forfeiting a lot of money with my business. I spent to try to prove William Branham right. And when I couldn't, I tried to find what all else was he wrong about. Yeah. Yeah. And I did it for the sole purpose of helping other people who are struggling just like I was. We, w- there was no dissonance. We started seeing things that clearly were not true. Yeah. And we examined the evidence trying to prove it and simply couldn't. So therefore, we had to, both scripturally and just simply by common sense, we had to reject the message. There, there was no other option. I'll say it like this, Rod. Pastor Gwena is certainly caught in cognitive dissonance himself so that he latches on to even the most trivial excuses to try to prove that the message is true. Yeah, yeah. He's using red herrings in the sermon that I just listened to. He's using very, very poor reasoning and simply screaming and shouting, unfortunately, for his listeners. This is quite often a sign that you have a weak argument. People scream and they shout to demonstrate that they have a strong argument. But Rod, as loud as you want to make your voice, the volume that comes out of your mouth doesn't make an argument any more true. We try to keep our podcast to a half hour or less, so we will bring this week's episode to a close. But please come back next week for the continuation of our interview with John Collins. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you're welcome to send an email to rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great week and thanks for listening. I am a genius, but I failed the test. I hate boot camp, but I want to be a Marine. The fox wanted grapes, but he couldn't reach. What will I do? What will I, will I do? What will we, what will we do? What will we do? What will we, what will we do? What will we do? What will we, what will we do? What will we do? Self-justification just to bridge the gap So that my dumb inconsistencies don't turn to traps That might make me look or feel like less of a human being Who is dumb, ignorant, weak, and not worth seeing Dumb, ignorant, weak, and not worth seeing Dumb, ignorant, weak, and not worth seeing Well, might seem lost, but it's okay I didn't really care about it anyway My teammates played their very worst game It's not my fault, they're all to blame They say smoking kills, but I'm not a believer It's just, oh, so good of a stress reliever And it might kill me, but oh, whatever Because I know that I can quit whenever She went and dumped me after only one day But that's okay with me because I'm freaking great She must have something wrong with her romantic taste I'm way too good for her anyway Cognitive dissonance
dissonance is no mental alibi We'll fix this mental dissonance by self-justifying Cognitive dissonance is no mental alibi We'll fix this mental dissonance by self-justifying I am a genius but I failed my test Guess what? It's all because my teacher hates my guts Justified! And not to mention I'm a bad test taker in this here subject's by far my least favorite Justified! Boot camp's tough but I wanna join the Marines So I will go through hell and pain if this is what it means Justified! To be a part of an elite group of tough guys It builds character to shout Semper Fi Justified! Fox wanted grapes but he couldn't reach He said screw this I'll just go have a For rabbits, anyway. Justified! If dissonance is no mental alibi, let's fix this mental difference by self justifying. Cognitive dissonance is no mental alibi, let's fix this mental 